Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things. All while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Hola, hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Cheese Nerd Podcast. Apologies if I sound a little bit different. I am at my in-laws house. I don't have my microphone with me, but it doesn't matter because we have an amazing guest with us and I'm so excited to welcome Karen Vidangos. How are you, Karen? Hi, I am doing really well. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Oh, you know what? I'm so excited because you were part of our New York panel when we were talking about arts and fashion, representation in arts and fashion. And now I get to hear more because when you have a panel and when you're kind of limited and we had, we had a good time. Don't get me wrong, right? It was beautiful, wasn't it? Oh, it was. You know what? (laughs) First of all, let me just say thank you so much for being part of that because We had so much amazing feedback and I hope that you and Cindy got the love that people were sharing with me in regards to what you were able to share about your stories, your journey, what you want to do. You know, it's so, so important that we share these things and that we support one another. And I literally reached out to you via TikTok. (laughs) and I was like hey I want to do this thing and I'm going to be in New York and I would love to have you as a panelist you didn't even hesitate you're like absolutely I will totally be a part of this (laughs) thank you no it was absolutely incredible I'm so Um, glad that you reached out it was truly incredible to see so many beautiful people there and Getting to meet Cindy, I mean, now we're connected in New York, so I'm definitely going to be reaching out to her, hanging out, getting some of those clothes. Right, yes. And for 2013, it was the first time I took the podcast on tour, and that was like one of my dreams. And when we had the performance by Jazzy, when she started us off with one of her songs, I was there all week, and it was one of those things where I was just like, just working and just trying to get stuff done and trying to put out little fires that were happening. And when she started singing at that moment, I was like, holy shit, this is my event. And I'm in New York. I'm in New York. And this is my event. Like Mm -hmm. it was so surreal. It was just a crescendo of what I have been dreaming to do. And so to have a panel such as yourself and Cindy, And we wanted to get one more person, but you know, it was like, and I had to acknowledge it right away. And I, and I had people like really appreciative of that because, you know, it was me, you and Cindy, three light-skinned Latinas talking about representation in arts and fashion. Now, first of all, where else would I do that topic? Of course, I'm (laughs) going to do that in New York, arts and fashion, right? But we really wanted to not only represent arts within like what you do, but arts within like the performing arts as well. Mm -hmm. And we really, it was very important that we had, to me, it's always important that we have diversity within our community, within the diaspora, right? And we had a couple of people who wanted to come that were Afro-Latino. And unfortunately, I mean, the great thing is they were booked and busy. Unfortunately for us, they were booked and busy, like I said, (laughs) But we just had such a such a rad conversation, and that's why I'm so excited to like be able to have a, you know a much more nuanced and deeper conversation with you this way as well. So I'm very excited. Yeah, no, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, again, thank you so much for reaching out. It was truly such a special occasion. And for anyone who wasn't there, this was the first time that my parents actually got to come out and see me do what I do. You know, they don't really, they know that I work in the museum field. They know I do social media, but, you know, I do a lot of speaking engagements. I talk to students, you know, I I do a lot of things outside of that that is relevant to 
the museum field, but they don't get to see that, right? And so this is the first time they got to see me talking to an audience about what I do. And and anyways, that that was that kind of added to how special that occasion was. There was a lot of emotions going on that day. <laughs> like yeah. Cindy, Cindy started crying as she's talking about her husband. <laughs> you were getting yeah. emotional talking about your parents. And I was getting emotional just being like blown <laughs> away by what was happening. It was there was definitely a lot of emotions. Well before we get into all of the things, all of the the cheesemen, all of your story and everything, we always start with the wine. I never force anybody to drink wine, but are you partaking today? And if so, what are you drinking? No, I'm actually just got some regular green tea because I feel like I've got a little bit something coming on. So I'm trying to do a little prevention. So no wine for me today. Girl, obviously <laughs> I just went through a whole like, or and just still going through this whole medical stuff. So yes, take care of you. Today's the first time I am drinking in what feels like forever, because obviously I was in the hospital. And then while I was taking, it didn't say I couldn't have alcohol while I was taking my medication, but I was like, I just am going to refrain because I really yeah. want to just get better. <laughs> so today is the first time in probably, I don't know, close, maybe three weeks, at least two weeks, maybe three that I've had a glass of wine. You deserve it. Have that wine, girl. <laughs> yes. So I'm actually having, and the bottle is out there. So like I said, I'm at my in-laws and we're having a tamalada. So my mother-in-law has friends over and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law are here and they're making tamales. So they're having a tamale party over there and I'm here. I was like, <laughs> okay, I got to take a break. Uh, I'll be back. So the bottle is actually out there, but this is from a Fallbrook winery. And it's called 33 North. And it's a Cabernet Sauvignon. I don't know if people will let me. Sometimes with the, well, it won't let me show the bottle. But, <laughs> salud. Salud. My first sip of wine in three weeks. <laughs> oh, wow. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> so let me start by just showing you. Girl, you know, what do you have to have that long time? It hits different. <laughs> just take the tastes in right that's the point that it, right yeah <laughs> oh it is it's like oh that's yeah that's good <laughs> and you know what it could be a really good wine already I think the fact that I haven't had a drink in so long makes it even better Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and you know what? It's so funny. I'm looking at my face right now and I'm seeing because, you know, I was in the hospital for a week. I think I lost like seven or eight pounds while I was in the hospital. And I'd been working out. This is not a diet I recommend or endorse. Do not go into the hospital to lose weight. <laughs> but I can already see it in my face. I'm like, hey, I'm good. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to find the humor in those things, right? <laughs> All right, Look. let me start with... <laughs> let, let me start with your bio. So Karen Vidangos is the founder of Latinx Art Collective, the first nationwide database exclusively for Latinx artists in the United States. And she's also the social media manager for the Guggenheim Museum in New York. Known online as Latina in Museums, Vidangos uses the digital space to explore and elevate underrepresented perspectives in the arts. As a social media specialist, Vidangos has created engaging strategies to support the Obama Portraits Tour and the 2019 American Portrait Gala from the National Portrait Gallery. She was also selected to lead the social media strategy and launch of the Smithsonian's institution-wide initiative, Our Shared Future, Reckoning with Our Racial Past. Previous to this, Vidangos led the strategy and launch of Glenstone Museum's social media presence, timed with their expansion reopening in 2021. Girl, let me just say, <laughs> I was so excited to 
connect with you. Like I said, I followed you online. On, I found you on TikTok. You came up on my FYP. And anytime, and I want to like start with like how you got into that and everything, but I just wanted to, to share this because anytime I see people that come from communities and colors and spaces that we're not normally seen at, I get so excited. So when mm-hmm. I saw you on TikTok, it was an instant, like no hesitation, <laughs> follow. I need to know, I need to follow this woman. I need to see what she's doing because, you know, we don't see that very often, right? We don't see, especially like the Guggenheim is a really, in my head, and I don't know how everybody else feels, but in my head, when you think of like prestigious museums, Guggenheim is one of those museums that you think of, right? And to see a Latina leading the social media charge for such a prestigious museum is mm-hmm. awesome. But before we go to like how that happened, right? I want to really start with where you grew up. And I know you're Bolivian. Yep. And I want to hear like what your parents' relationship or your familial relationship to art was growing up. Yeah, I really love talking about that journey simply because it was not a straight line. Getting to this point in my career, I was all over the place. And so I use that story as kind of, um, you know, to inspire people and, and to really let everyone know that there is space for them, there is room for them, and and to not let any fears or challenges kind of get in the way their passion. But growing up, my parents are immigrants. And so as a child of immigrants, they wanted something that would bring financial security. Being in the arts is not that, one might say. (laughs) That was not something that they encouraged. Now, I did grow up in a creative household. My sister played the piano. My dad plays the guitar. My mom, I grew up with my mother singing. Our basement had like a whole studio recordings, everything. And I just remember that as a child, like sitting on a stool, listening to my mom singing into a microphone while my dad sort of like, uh, I guess you could call, he was like the manager and, and using all of these tools and equipment that, that I wish I knew the name of, but I, I really don't. But I just remember all of these things in our basement used for music, to record music, to improve the sound, to, you know, instruments. And And that was the environment I grew up in. It was a creative household and they encouraged that. They encouraged that creative expression, not necessarily for a career, but they encouraged the expression of this creativity. And somewhere along the way, I kind of took that and I was like, no, I think I'm going to do this full time. When did you, because like I'm somebody, I, I grew up loving to sing and loving to perform and all that stuff. I guess in some way I'm still performing, right? In some some, some <laughs> semblance. But I feel like there comes a moment where you're just like, you fall in love, right? Like, I don't know if I remember the moment I fell in love with. Actually, I don't think there was a moment I fell in love with people. I've always loved people, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've always. And so I feel like everything that I've done in my entire life has been about working with people and being around people and hearing stories and wanting to like know more about them. What was, do you maybe recall that moment where you were just like, I think there's also a difference, right? We talk about the performing arts and then we talk about more like the traditional, what people think art is when going to a museum. Was there a moment where that pulled you towards that type of artistic expression and being able to like see the beauty in going to a museum and whatever versus like a performing art type of mindset. Yeah. So actually I initially did want to go into a performing arts route, I guess. When I was younger, I would sing. I'm bopping around just singing. And I, I was very serious about that. I took classes and my dad, like I mentioned earlier, kind of, managed my mom and helped her record a few things. And so he saw that that's what I wanted to do. So he kind of started working with me in that direction. But the visual arts pulled me in a very 
different way, pulled at my heartstrings in a different way. There was something about the visual aspect that attracted me. And in the beginning, because I grew up in a household of creativity, my initial thinking was, oh, I, I want to be an artist. And so that's what I did for like a year and a half. I was painting, I was drawing, and definitely I'm telling you right now, I'm not an artist. I can't paint, I can't draw. I mean, I, I'm i not an artist. <laughs> <laughs> but I gave I it can, a shot. Uh, girl, I get you. I could barely draw a stick figure. <laughs> I gave it a shot, and that's the most that I could do. But I think what was the complete pivot and was something that I didn't really realize was a direction I could I I could even go in was I took an art history class and that was that was it end of story done that's the direction I needed to go in I took an art history class and realized that while I grew up in a household of creative expression I was encouraged to creatively express and I tried these different pathways to do that whether that be singing or dancing or painting I realized it really was the history of it that I was fascinated by, the storytelling. My background is a roller coaster, but long story short, I had dropped out of University of Maryland. And when I went back, I decided to go back for a bachelor's in art history. And that kind of began the path for me to where I am now is art history. So did you grow up in the Maryland area? Yes. So yeah. I'm not very familiar with that area or the the demographics or anything like that. Were you, when you were going to school, when you were going, especially in particular with these like art history classes, was your face the only brown face that you saw in those classes? And <laughs> if so, is that something that you noticed and perceived? And how did that affect your perception of what you wanted to do? Yes, I was definitely one of the few brown faces in any of these courses. I think that I wasn't fully self-aware of that at that point. It kind of took me a while. I think I was so wrapped up in the worry of what I was going to do with my life that I I wasn't thinking outside of that of, oh, wait a minute, I'm the I'm the only one that looks like me in here. Wait a minute. <laughs> and it, it took me a while after I started feeling a little more confident in the direction I was going in that I kind of looked up and I realized, wait, I happen to be one of the few brown people in these classes and one of the few brown people with some of these challenges. The story of my career is in, has so many chapters and that you know that's one of the later ones where I had too many things. And I think this happens to a lot of us. I cannot think about being the only Latina right now because I have bills to pay. I got a job to do. I, I have so many other things to worry about. I can't take that up as well. But when I finally figured out that I wanted to go in this art history direction, that's kind of when I realized, you know, some of the challenges that I was having was because I was a Latina, having to work full time and go to school that's a challenge that black and brown communities face all the time because historically, statistically, we don't have that wealth and that power to go to school full time, not have to worry about money, right? So when I woke up to that a little bit, it was fascinating. I want to say I was disappointed, but you know, I knew it wasn't surprising. But I think more than that, I think it just kind of made me determined. You know, I, I had already gone through the financial crisis of 2008, this, this was not going to bring me down. I remember when we were in our panel, you were, when you were saying you dropped out and you went back and girl, I get that. Like I totally, I, you know, understand that because I didn't graduate college till I was 37, like almost 20 years to the day that I graduated high school. And it's something when you decide to go back and especially when you've had a break and you have to do what you need to do to survive, right? Which is mm -hmm. what so many of us have gone through, right? Mm -hmm. And when you decide to go back, you're not doing it for anybody else, but yourself, uh, because that's something mm -hmm. that nobody can take away from you, right? Education is, is what, however you yeah. get educated, right? Whether it's through mm -hmm. reading, whether it's through storytelling, whether it's through all of these things. And because I think 
right now we're in this moment of the only way to be educated is to go to a four-year university. And no, no, like we're educated in so many other ways. When you went back and you're like, this is what I'm doing. And you know what? I may be the only brown face, but guess what? I'm a freaking like bust my ass. You're going to (laughs) see, you're going to see me. I feel like, I feel like inside (laughs) you, just from getting to know you a little bit, you're going to be like, watch out. Right. Like I might be the only brown face, but guess what? Uh Uh-uh, I'm here. Watch out. (laughs) So what was that like when you decided to go back? Obviously, you're a little bit older, a little bit wiser. You've learned some other lessons because you've had to live life. How did you bring Mm -hmm. that into your comeback, going back? Not like your, I I say comeback, like don't call it a comeback, (laughs) right? Like I think I'm LL Cool J or something. But how did you use that to pursue now what you're like, this is what I want to do? Like you said, I had the advantage of having to live a life a little outside of university bubble. This is post-economic crisis of 2008. I had to drop out of school. I had to get a full-time job. I had to move back home. I suddenly had to, I, I had, suddenly I had debt to pay off. Like there's, there's a lot of growing up that I had to do. And when I felt finally ready to go back, I think that when you're young, you don't have the advantage of thinking 10 years ahead, 15 years ahead. Maybe that's changed now with the younger generation. But when I was younger, I wasn't thinking about my life 10 years from that point. I was thinking about what I'm going to do that weekend. (laughs) But Now I I came back and I knew exactly what I needed to do. It was all business. I was about business, girl. I I was getting that bachelor's degree. I was figuring out next steps. Like we were making it happen because this time we weren't wasting a single dollar. I was going to make this bachelor's happen. I was going to make that master's degree happen. I was going to make this career happen. And that was not my thinking when I first went into college. That's simply... I was definitely a lot more naive, not entirely focused the way I was when I came back, but I really got to work with zero expectations. I just got to work um, and put myself into spaces no matter where, when, or how. I just did it. And yeah, I mean, I made it happen. (laughs) I feel you because that's how I was going back. And I was in my 30s when I went back too. And it was just like, Yay, you can have your conversations. Yes, I will be friendly. Yes, I will. But like, I'm here for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Same thing. And I was working full time and going to school full girl one semester. I don't know how I did it. I was working full time and taking 15 units. I was at school five days a week. I have no idea wow. how I did it. And now I'm like, I'm like, how? Because I don't have that energy anymore. <laughs> oh, I definitely don't have that energy. And it can feel weird too, right? When you go back and you're a little bit older, you kind of feel out of place. And it's not even like, you just feel out of place because everyone is younger. And yeah, you know, I definitely felt like I was behind, right? Like, oh, I should have graduated years ago. But you know, I think in the end, um, it worked out in my favor having all of that life experience. When you told your parents, you were going back to school and you were going back for art history. What was their reaction? <laughs> what? <laughs> art history. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> Mind you, <laughs> I went into university as a government and politics major, which is very unsurprising for someone that lives in the DC metropolitan area. So to go from government and politics to art because I switched my major to art before I dropped out and then I was going back for art history which I suppose sounds better than just art I don't know but they they were certainly confused certainly confused but to their credit they didn't argue with me they didn't try to stop me they were just very they were concerned but but they didn't try to stop me they're like, guess this though. <laughs> what do you mean art history? What is that? What? What is that? <laughs> Just like with so like, cause I get it, because you do social media and my like certain things that I do, my parents, they just say, Oh, she works in this, but they don't like with the podcast, they actually say, Oh, well, she has a podcast. But anything else, like when you work in PR or something, they have yeah. no 
concept of what that is. And they're like, um, she works for a council member or she works at this, co- I don't know, she works for this company and, but she also has a podcast, like, it just, like they can't, you, they can't wrap their head around it. It's I know, I so know, fun. unless it's like lawyer, doctor, you do what? Social media manager for a museum. So yeah, I'm on my phone all day, mom. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, this is my job. Going back, one thing that I found is like for me, and I would love to hear what your experience was. For me, I couldn't do internships because I had to work. I had to pay bills. I had to, you know what I mean? Like nobody was going to pay my things for me. So, you know, you have these things where like, I couldn't just take an unpaid internship at a PR agency. I couldn't just do that. So especially within the art world, where was that gap for you? Did you experience something similar in regards to, because I didn't even live at home. I lived in a different state as my parents as well. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like I could move back with my parents and do that. Like, and I, right. I wouldn't want to be in my thirties. Like for me personally, everybody to each their own. Right. I, I love my family, but I need my space. <laughs> <laughs> when I went to college right out of high school, I didn't know about internships or at least my memory of that time, I I was either not thinking about it or I didn't really realize it was something that I needed to have. I do not recall a moment where I was thinking about, oh, I need to get an internship or I I can't get an internship because I don't have time. I wasn't thinking about it at all. Now, mind you, this, this is like over a decade ago. So my memory is slowly starting to fade away, but I didn't have... I didn't have the the benefit of having family to help guide me through this process. My father went to university in Bolivia, but he grew up in a time when there was a dictatorship. So the university effectively shut down right in the middle of it. So I was the first child to go to college. And in the United States, it's a whole beast, right, to navigate through. So I didn't really have that guidance. And I certainly don't recall counselors helping me through it. I think the most that they did was say, okay, where are you applying to? Okay, let's make sure you got your applications and go. But outside of that, I really didn't know what I was doing and I was doing it on my own. So that was my undergrad university experience. Just a lot of question marks. Right. I think that's so many of our experiences. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more wine and cheese me. When it comes to the art world, I'm a dunce, totally a dunce. The one of the beautiful things about art is it's completely subjective. Things can evoke different emotions in different people. Some people could look at the same piece of art and they could all have a different interpretation of it. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to like, where do you start? Like you're now, you're done, you're focused. You're like, okay, I'm done. Where do you go from there? Like, how do you, I feel like museums, especially when it comes to people that come from communities of color, it just feels like there's this barrier there. And how do you overcome that? So you can start working in what you want. You can start showing other people that come from communities of color, that this is, this does not have to be a barrier. Like, how does that work? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I had to sort of figure it out on my own and put those pieces together. And, you know, that's why it took me so long because I really didn't know what I was doing, but it really wasn't until I went to grad school that I started to figure out how to be proactive in my career. Up until that point, I was doing what felt was the right decision, but I I wasn't entirely sure. Grad schools felt like the obvious answer. And part of my program, we had to do internships. And through those internships is where you meet people, you know, network and start building on that resume and that experience. And that was kind of like the launching pad to my career now. But You're right. There's so many different jobs that you can have in a museum. And so therefore, so many different pathways to museums. All of those pathways can be such a huge mystery full of individual challenges that 
black and brown people are just not privy to because it's just not something that a lot of us were really shown as an option, something available to us. And so you're not the only one. You're not a dummy. You're not a dunce. <laughs> you know, there's still some career paths in museums that are still a mystery to me. But people come from so many different backgrounds. It just really depends on what you're interested in, whether it's education or curatorial or conservation. I have a good friend who's a conservator. Her background's in science. You know, our educators, background in education, are curatorial, have PhDs in art history. People in my department, marketing, communications, that's that marketing communications background, not always art history. I, I don't have a degree in communications. It's uh, art history and museum studies, but there's so many different places that one can come from to be in the museum space. But I think that for me, at least what I can do now that I'm here to illuminate how I got to social media is through that art history museum studies path. And more importantly, through networking, networking my tail off and just talking to anyone and everyone who is interested in talking to me about my interests, about what I wanted to do, about learning about more what everyone else is doing and learning about everyone else's projects and just finding friendships. And that sort of, that really does help guide you along and help you on your path. What was your first job? Was it within a museum? Was it within, when you finally work, you graduate, you, you get your bachelor's, you go to grad school, you get your master's now. You're like, okay, now I'm looking for a job. And obviously, girl, I get the networking. I'm queen of networking. I love, but I'm also like, we were talking beforehand. I'm like an extroverted extrovert. That's why this whole hospitalization, like, look, I am a proud callejera. I know it. It's okay. So being around people is like a huge, that's where I get my energy. And obviously networking, no matter what industry you're in, is such a huge part in your career development because you meet people who will sometimes be your cheerleader, sometimes be your advocate, sometimes will be your mentor. What was your first job after that? Like, were you able, yeah. was it easy to get into like your foot in the door to say, now I'm here and, um, and I'm not going anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> I'll say yes and no. It didn't feel easy to me at the time, but I think in retrospect, I had it a lot easier than most people in this field. Most people in this field graduate and find it difficult to find a job. They'll spend years trying to look for a job, any job that will hire them from any museum, any historic house. It is just incredibly difficult to get your foot in the door no matter how many internships you have, because there are just so few positions that are available. So I want to say that looking back, it probably was definitely easier than most. I spent looking for a job after I graduated from grad school, maybe about six months. And the job I ended up getting was, I believe it was communications coordinator for Glenstone Museum in Potomac, Maryland. And that job was pretty much like 95% social media. I helped build their social media presence and accounts for their grand reopening expansion project. And that was truly a blessed position to be in considering how truly difficult it is for anyone to get a job in this field. And so to have that job be the first job is a blessing. I always wonder, first of all, when I first read your bio, it's like, wow, it's very impressive. Let me just say, <laughs> first of all, it's very impressive. And I applaud you so much in regards to the things that you've been able to do. First, having this, the first thing that obviously caught my eye was you created these strategies to, to support the Obama Portraits Tour. And then the next thing, I know you did this other American portrait gala thing, but the next thing I said is you helped lead the social media strategy and launch of now. And this is huge. This is like the Smithsonian is an institution, right? It's, it just encompasses so much of what 
this country has lacked, what this mm-hmm. country has given, what this country has like, you know, I think there's so much there. But this initiative called Our Shared Future Reckoning with Our Racial Past. That was the second yeah. thing that I just really popped out. How did you get involved in that? And how did that as a Latina, like right, as a how did that make you feel being part of this thing that probably you can identify with, right? Obviously, there's a lot of back and forth in regards to Latinos in America, like particularly Mexicans. But beyond that, people that come from Central and South America, there's this huge thing. And how did that feel as a Latina, like being part of creating this initiative? You know, I think like a lot of things in my life that have happened since graduating, it just feels like a blessing. I was actually reached out to by, at at that point, I was the social media manager for the National Portrait Gallery, a Smithsonian institution, and the social media strategist for the Smithsonian institution, like the central Smithsonian, reached out to me asking if I was interested in being part of this initiative that was being worked on with the secretary, Secretary Lonnie Bunch. You know, it was... For two reasons, I think I was reached out to. One, I had worked closely with that person in the past before they knew me very well. And obviously they knew my work as a social media manager at the Portrait Gallery. But two, I have been speaking very openly about race and marginalization in the museum field, being a Latina in the museum field for a very long time. I think that was part of the reason why I was reached out to because they knew that I could take a look at our collection and make that connection to a wider story that needs to be told. And part of the mission of this initiative was really to do just that, to not just talk about here's an object that the American history collected, but what does that object mean in terms of the racism of this country, right? It's digging into the deeper roots and connecting all of these objects from all of these museums within the Smithsonian and putting together the story to bring to light these histories that we don't often talk about and do that through that digital medium of social media to this wide audience. Oh, girl, please tell me you were not the only Black around person in that part of that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, well, you know, they, for this initiative, they convened a very large group pulled from many different other Smithsonian museums. Social media was me, that strategist, and our sort of supervisor, the public relations person was Black woman. She's no longer there anymore, but she was a Black woman. And I worked a lot with actually Dr. Adiana Curtis, who is a Black curator for the National Museum of African American History and Culture, who's brilliant, brilliant woman. So definitely not the only person of color on this team, but it was definitely exciting to be part of, knowing that this is something that the Smithsonian was doing, incredibly important work. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think sometimes you see, well, Oftentimes, not even sometimes, oftentimes you see whether it's a commercial or whether it's this or whether it's that. And you're like, was there nobody like it just completely (laughs) misses the mark. Right. And you're like, who was in the room and said that was okay?" And then you find out that there's nobody that came from any communities of color that were in the room. And you're like, well, no freaking wonder. Right. Like, this is ridiculous. So. I find that happens just way too much. And it makes me also wonder, like, who have your, like, my biggest advocates have been Black women in my career, especially early on in my career. I think there's no segment of the population who gets disrespected more and deserves more respect than Black women. I found it so humbling and so honored that I've had so many Black women, like, be my advocate, be my mentors and everything. Who have you found to be your biggest advocate and be your biggest mentor and really like say, hey, there's an opportunity. Who has been that for you? Well, it's really been a community throughout this time. But I will say that when I started this journey, speaking about 
museums with the perspective of a person of color. So I started out in my bubble trying to figure out my life, what I was going to do. I kind of found a pathway and I looked up and realized, wait a minute, there's a lot of issues here, a lot of challenges here. And when I started digging into those challenges that are particular to communities of color, it was Black women who were the ones having done the work, done the research, written the papers. Those are the resources that I look to in figuring out my own space in this field and realizing these problems and how how I fit into all of it. It was all on Twitter. I might have mentioned this when we were at the event, but it was Black women on Twitter who are in museums. There's such an active or was an active community of museum people having these conversations of being Black, being Brown in museum spaces specifically. And I got to connect with a lot of these people and get to know them, get to know their work, learn a lot from them. That was sort of the foundation of of my education is the work that Black women have done in the museum field to bring us to the point where we are now. I mean, there's so many research papers out there about this. And where did that come from? But the Black women who were doing the work. Yeah. Now you're at the Guggenheim and you, like I said at the beginning, like the Guggenheim is, you think of of museums and I think the Guggenheim is one of those museums that you think of, right? It's like, my gosh, it's, I had never, so no, that I had told you when I went, I was like, I have never been to the Guggenheim. I've been to MoMA, but I don't know if I've been to the Met or not. Been to MoMA for sure which is the Museum of Modern Art for people who don't know in New York. But I had never been to the Guggenheim. And one thing that we were talking about is you hear that all the time, particularly from other Latinos and other people that come from communities of color, that they may have gone to other museums, but they've never gone to the Guggenheim. So how does that make you feel being a Latina? And I know that one of your big initiatives, not just for the Guggenheim, but just in general, is mm-hmm. to really get more people that come from communities of color exposed to museums and exposed to wanting to come out, to come to the Guggenheim. Because you said like, that's what I hear all the time is people say they've never been to the Guggenheim. And now that you're in this position, is that a burden? Does that feel heavy? Like heavy is the head that wears the crown, so to speak? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I talk a lot about the challenges and barriers of being in Latina in museums, but I have a lot of privilege and I recognize that. The privilege of being able to go to college, the privilege of being able to network because that takes cost, right? To to go out there and pay money and transportation. There's, There's a lot of little pieces here and there where I have had the privilege to be part of. And so now I feel like it's, I feel like it's something that I have to do. It's it's not a burden. It's not even really like a, a challenge. It's I don't feel like I have an option, right? People deserve to be seen. Black and brown communities deserve to be seen. They deserve to be welcomed with open arms and spaces and to feel like they belong there because they belong at the Guggenheim. Museums, historically not made for black and brown people. But in 2023, they very much should be a part of the fabric of these institutions, of what we see, who we see, how we see it. And so for me, in the position that I'm in as social media person, from what I can control, it is an honor, if anything, to be able to try to bring these communities into the space because art has done so much for me in my life. I want Black and brown communities to feel that same magic, passion, power of art. And you use TikTok beautifully in regards to sharing those stories. Obviously, that's how we met. And I'm so happy we did because you're just such a lovely person, Karen, seriously. And I'm so happy we met and connected and and everything. And what have you found the response on TikTok to be as a Latin? in museums have you found people 
saying, oh my gosh, I've never been, I want to go, or what's been like kind of the feedback that you've gotten from your social media, not just the, the Google, and has it, have you seen that trickle over to the Guggenheim social, social accounts or even who's coming in? Oh yeah, definitely. So for my personal, it's been overwhelmingly positive which has been very exciting to see. I get these comments from other Latinas who are excited, who have also, I get a lot of comments from people saying they've never been to the Guggenheim and now they're going to go. And that's just so exciting for me to see because I want to see more black and brown people at the Guggenheim. And that has trickled over to the Guggenheim in the sense that those very comments of people saying they have never been and now they want to go. I screenshot those comments. I show that to my boss and I'm like, look, look here. You've got people who have never been to Guggenheim. (laughs) But also I have connected with a lot, just like you did with me, I've connected with a lot of these content creators who I didn't know before because I was on Instagram and all of this exciting art content that other creators are making now, you know, these younger generations who are building on on it on their own. And so now I'm connecting with them, inviting them into the space to explore the Guggenheim through their eyes. That's more of what I want to do. I want to, I want to connect with more content creators who have a passion for arts and culture and bring them to the Guggenheim and, and give them that space to create content, how they see the museum. Yes. When we went Unfortunately, you guys were changing out the installation, but we did get to see like the, I think it was the Korean one that was happening, which some of it, I'm not gonna lie, I totally did not understand. Some of it was very cool. And some of it, I was just like, I don't know what this means, but cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, only the young experimental art in Korea from the (laughs) 1960s and 70s, which has so much to do. There's so much connection there with Latin American history because the artists of that time in Korea were really up against a government who was censoring them. And so they were, that, that art was created in protest. And so I, Latin American countries know a lot about dictatorships and censorship and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Like some of it, I was like, okay, I don't know. Maybe I would, if I, maybe you should have read about it a little bit more prior to going into it. Cause if I would have went in with those eyes, I think that would have changed my, the way that I was looking at everything. If I was looking at it, just that brief little summary that you shared, I probably would have looked at things very differently. Right. <laughs> and then I we did go, yeah, because some of us I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> but I'm means, glad you got to see it. I'm I, glad you went. I did, but I will say this. I was like, I appreciate it for because obviously it means something to the artist that was doing it. But mm-hmm. even if I didn't understand it, like I said, I wasn't looking at it with those eyes. But now I have to go back through my camera and look at some of the photos I took. And maybe see like, <laughs> oh, okay, I get that now. But Make some of it, I did understand it. And then, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then we did go into like where the portraits were with more of the traditional artists. What is your favorite type of art and who is your favorite artist? I don't like that question. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. <laughs> because it's like asking a parent who their favorite child is. I get it. I get it. Because everybody asks me what my favorite wine is. I'm like, really? I, I can't yeah. pick. There's so many great, there's so many great mediums and so many great artists. But I will say that right now, who I'm excited about is a young Latina artist, Yvette Mayorga, who has a show at the Aldrich Museum, Aldrich Contemporary Museum. She does incredible work that is kind of bursting with this baby pink tones and it's really reflective of just femininity but the strength and femininity and it's got a very like textural feel to it but she's doing incredible work right now and she's incredibly sweet on top of that I I love an artist who's kind I love kind people and um no but she's she's such a brilliant artist she's doing amazing things so she's an artist that I'm really got top of mind right now 
that's how I'll answer that question. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like that because it's like who I'm excited about right now. Because I feel the same, like I'm like, what I like right now. Oh, wait, I just tried this. That gets me excited. So I get it. I get it. Um, <laughs> but beyond the Guggenheim and everything that you've been doing within these museums, you've actually created a directory or a database of Latinx artists in the United States, which I do need to send you some names because we've had few artists here. And actually, one of the artists, the one I was telling you who makes the piñatas and her art has had some, a couple of museums have actually purchased her piñatas to keep in their museum. I actually told her about you and about the database. And I was like, you know, I'm going to send your name over. She's like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. That's so cool. She was so, so excited. How did the Latinx Art Collective get started? I know you talked about it in the panel, but how did that get started? And where do you want that to go and progress to? Yeah, um, well, it kind of started as I used to have an account called the Latinx, Latinx Curator. And the whole purpose of that account was really showing um, the community in museum spaces, simply because as a social media person in the field, I'm connected with a lot of influencers who are posting their beautiful photos in these exhibitions, but I didn't really see the Latinx community a lot represented. And so I decided that this space, this Instagram space would be like a gallery showing that we love art too. We love like posting up and showing our cute photos in these like amazing exhibitions as well and collect it all in this one Instagram. I got a lot of DMs from artists though, just showing me their work. And I realized that there's just so many artists out there that are looking for an outlet, that are looking to be amplified. And truth be told, I love the idea of Latinx curated, but it was really hard to maintain because it's not like you can just look up a hashtag and, and gather all these photos. I had to really go hunting for people that I didn't even know in museums. I mean, it was really difficult to a, a task to do. So I tried to find another way to contribute to my community. And I found that this was the way. There were so many artists out there that had reached out to me. I at first kind of didn't want to engage with artists in the digital space because I didn't really think I had anything that I could contribute outside of just admiration. But the the more time went by and the more I thought about it, I, I kind of realized there really was something I can do here. And that's kind of where the database came about. I can create this platform, manage it, put it together and help artists Latinx artists amplify their work in this way. Well, like I said, I have names for you that I still need to send over because I think it's so important to connect that, right? Like, I think very similarly from like the wine perspective, right? When I created the directory, it was because people didn't realize that there was Latino wine brands. And when they realize that they're like, wait, what? I want to support, like, let's support our community. And I think that's something we even within the art world, you know, I think that there's this craving amongst our community and amongst other communities of color to support one another, to mm -hmm. amplify one another, to really show like, because history has not been kind to people that come mm -hmm. from communities of color to be in the United States. I think we're at this pivotal moment where we're just like, we have to, like, we have no choice. Many of us, there's, I'm not saying everybody, let's be real, not everybody's about that life and that's okay. I, we are, and that's what matters. But there's so many more of us who are about that, who do want to recognize. So the fact that you put this together, especially for something like that, I wanna actually connect you with my friend, Norma as well. She is like on the board of one of the museums here in, in LA. She has connections with a lot of Latino artists here. And I think that there could be some synergy there. So I want to make, I really want to connect you guys. She was actually just featured also in Vogue Mexico. So yes. I I'm think so I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Norma is a good friend of mine. She's been yes. on I love 
if you have not connected with her, I want to connect you guys because she knows she's a big art person. I've gone to a couple art openings with her and she like knows everybody <laughs> in, in LA. So I think that would be a really, I think that could be synergistic for you, for, for you. Yeah. And that I want to make sure. Yes. She's truly a remarkable person as are you. What is next for you, Karen? Like, where do you want to go from here? I mean, you're like, it feels like you just keep setting the bar higher and higher for yourself. So what do you think? Well, 2024, I think is going to be another busy year of hitting goals. There's a couple of projects that I am working on and I'm really trying Latinx Art Collective. There's just so much I want to do with that. I think there's a lot of opportunity to really make it into a stronger platform. So I'm really working on building it, not just the actual database, but the team as well. You know, with the Guggenheim, it'll be my two-year anniversary in May. And so I'm just sort of thinking about what I want my goals to be with the museum as well, where I want my career with the museum to go. Always bigger and always better things. My theme for 2024 is it's never too late. And I think you are a shining example of that as well. You know, it's never too late to go after your dreams. It's never too late to change your mind. It's never too late. And I'm so, so happy that you came on and shared more of your story. If there's anything I did not ask or anything you want to add, I want to make sure I give you the opportunity to do so now. Yeah, I I definitely want to give a shout out to two Black women in particular who I don't think they realize how much they of an impact they've had on, on me when I was a young museum gal, but Portia Moore and Nicole Ivey, the work that they've done in the field has been beyond important that I, I think a lot of people do not realize the contribution, the, the level of contribution that they've made. And the work that they've done really inspired me when I was a young one. And so I just want to give a shout out to them and thank them for all the work that they've done, that they're doing, that they continue to do. And I think that is so awesome because we need to make sure that we can always shout out the people that inspire us, that help us, that uplift us. And I am so excited, girl. I can't wait to go back to New York. (laughs) Yes, please come back. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We, this time though, we have to do, we have to do, I know your parents were there and it was so lovely to see your girl. Let me tell you, I don't know if you saw it, but from an outsider point of perspective, I am sitting there in the front row. They were so proud of you. I don't think they mind that you're our history major anymore. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they don't mind. They don't mind. <laughs> Especially they see their their daughter going, look at like all these things that it's afforded you, right? I mean, you've tra- you get to travel the world. You get to see all these amazing pieces. You get to meet these amazing people. I mean, and to recognize the privilege that comes with that is such a huge thing because so many people don't recognize that. And it's so important that anytime we do, that we do recognize the privileges that we do have. And, but it was so lovely meeting your parents and it was so cute to see their faces <laughs> watching you it was so cute I know I know that that honestly a long time coming I didn't even dawn on me that this really was the first time until they were there and I'm like wow they really never seen me do this we've got to do that again I want to bring them along to more things (laughs) well are they so I think you said they were going to be moving right did they have they moved or they moved out of the area No, no, no. Still moving, but still in the the D.C. area. Okay. There's time. I can drag them to more things. We got time. Oh, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. (laughs) Well, next time we'll definitely have to go hit up one of the wineries or something when I'm there next. Yes. Yes. I love that. (laughs) We'll have to figure out a way to bring the art and the wine. I mean, we ended up having the event at a pop art gallery. Right up your alley. Yeah, girl. What did you think of art? What did you think of the venue? Art art and wine go together like, I don't even know what, honey and tea. The art world loves good wine. 
See, we're maybe we're gonna have to do something at the Guggenheim. You'd be like, you know what, you want to bring in people? Let let we got this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Karen. I always enjoy talking to you. I'm so glad we've connected. Like I said, such a lovely human, and I am so excited to see all of the things that you do, not only with the Guggenheim, but with the Latinx Art Collective and beyond. So thank you so much for, for sharing your story, for sharing your time, for sharing your lovely energy with us. With us. Thank you so much for having me. It has been an absolute pleasure as always. So, and I'll let you know next time. I, I Hopefully I'll be in, um, I'm sure I'll be in New York at least, if not for an event, I'll at least go for pleasure next year again. <laughs> Good. Definitely. Until these times. Of course, of course. Until next time, mi gente. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.